Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Orthodox School Podcast. It's Kyle, and I had the privilege of sitting down with Daniel Montañez. Uh, Daniel and I talked about immigration and theology and a lot of the different uh, intersections between them and uh, just kind of really got into God's heart for immigrants and, and how immigrants play a huge role in the biblical story and are continuing to play a big role uh, in the world today, just uh, as our culture globalizes increasingly and we see different people migrating for different opportunities, but also to get away from really hard things like war or famine or drought. And so we get into all of that good stuff. It's an awesome conversation. I'm excited for y'all to hear it. And so uh, without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Daniel Montañez. and welcome back to the Orthodox School Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Bumgarner, and I am joined today by Daniel Montañez. Uh, Daniel is, uh, he is actually a connection from another previous uh, podcast guest, Haiti Lepe. Uh, and Daniel is a PhD student at Boston University in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, he's studying theological ethics and he is the founder of the Migration Christian Conference. So Daniel, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Um, yeah, I was, I, I've heard uh, quite a few of your episodes and I've appreciated the work that you've been doing with uh, the Orthodoxical podcast. So honored to be on this, on this call as well. Excellent. Excellent. So Daniel, as we get started, can you give us a, a, uh, a brief background of your own spiritual and theological journey? Yeah, absolutely. So as far as my spiritual journey goes, I I was uh, born and raised as a pastor's kid. Uh, so I that know you were alone, a PK. Yeah, I'm a PK. So that alone is its own yeah. experience of, of of great things as well as traumas uh, that came with that. Uh, but overall, uh, I, I made it to either side. I'm still a Christianist of the Lord um, by God's grace in many ways. Uh, I grew up in a Latino Pentecostal church. Um, so the denomination in which I grew up was uh, the Church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, was raised there for my entire lifetime. Uh, and I'd say as far as like my spiritual faith growing up, it was one of those, those similar things where, I mean, I think I had a, a, a spirituality. I, I had a relationship with, with God, but it wasn't until college when I began to take those things seriously. Uh, and, and actually it was... Uh, while I was in college that I, I, I felt the call to go uh, to seminary. So in 2014, I went to Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. I began my MDiv there. Uh, it was during that time where I began to grow more deeper uh, in my spirituality, but also I began to grow deeper in my own sense of, of my identity as, as a Latino. Uh, I think what, what happens to many Latinos is uh, until they are no longer around Latinos, uh, they realize, oh, hold on a second, uh, I, I'm no longer around my people, and then you begin to feel like a fish out of water, um, and in, in, in many senses, that was the case for me, and it, it was just beginning for me to embark on a journey to understand my own identity as a second-generation Latino more. Uh, during my time at Gordon-Conwell, I had the opportunity to take a course at Harvard Divinity School, uh, a class called Human Migration in the Mexico-U.S. Borderlands, and that was a very formative course for me because it began to help me think through uh, just how my um, how my own identity as a second generation Latino, as well as my own migration story, connected with my faith, uh, my faith experience, as well as uh, the experience of my family and the journey that they had gone through. And I began to ask a lot of questions. Uh, I began to become more passionate in this area, and started to just just, just to write papers. On, on, on migration and immigration. Uh, and actually, after I finished at Gordon-Conwell, I went on to do uh, a second master's degree at Boston University School of Theology. Uh, kind of, it was, it's called an STM. It's, it's basically the same thing as a THM. Mm -hmm. um, but in that, I really began to press into more my desire to explore this field of migration theology. And I began to um, understand it more um, in that way and, and began to discern if this is something that I wanted to continue to press into. Um, however, after I finished my second master's, I realized that I was exhausted 
from going to school. I had been going since I was four years old uh, and no breaks. So I'm like, I need, I need just to take a breath and just do life in a different way. So I went back to Gordon Conway, worked in the admissions office there. Uh, wonderful two years uh, until I felt ready to step back in to academics. Also during this time of, of being at Gordon Conwell, Boston University, I was a young adult pastor as well as a church in a church here in, in Boston. Um, but in 2020, I decided to take the, the plunge and I started a, a PhD program. Uh, and here I am now exploring the intersection of uh, immigration and theology. That's awesome, man. And I gotta, so I'm curious now that because you've lived in California, Texas and Boston, which place kind of has like a little bit of a hold on you more than one or the other? That is a wonderful question. Um, I love all of them each in their own way. Part of me wants to one day move back to California, but I know the prices are unmanageable. Um, my family all lives in San Antonio, so I always feel a draw there. Um, but I love Boston. Boston is a great place to be. Um, and where I am right now is I'm waiting. If, if God has a call for me to return back home to San Antonio, I'll, I'll gladly accept that call. However, I haven't received it yet. Uh, so so I'm, I'm, I'm staying put where I am and enjoying uh, where he has me in this season. That's awesome, man. And so Daniel, you, um, you recently began, um, you, you formulated and organized a conference kind of around migration and theology and their their different intersections and you and it's called the migration christian conference and a lot of different people spoke at it so can you tell me about sort of what led to you uh you know starting that founding that conference and and kind of the response to it yeah absolutely so migration christian conference uh we st i started it in 2019 uh and really really what led me to that place was just a desire to explore what the Bible really says about immigration and what the Bible says about migration. Um, one of the things that we say is that the Bible stories are our stories as, 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 as people who exist within uh, immigrant communities. Many of the stories that you find in the Bible are very similar mm -hmm. to stories that people live within this world today. And beginning to think about how can the Bible speak to those realities today? Is, is something that I wanted to explore more. Um, actually at the time, I think it was in mid 2018 or beginning of 2018 where I was flirting with the idea with my then girlfriend, now wife, I was just sharing with her how this is something that I wanted to do. And she encouraged me uh, to, to pursue this, this dream that I had. And actually, if it wasn't for her, it probably wouldn't have happened because she was just so, she was, she's like an amazing conference organizer, uh, had all the gifts to make this happen and, and we did this together as well as uh, got uh, a, a, another small team of people to work together to make this happen. It was, it was an in-person conference uh, initially here in Boston uh, for the larger Boston area. We invited um, Dr. Daniel Carroll Rodas, who was a, who's a professor at Wheaton College, um, Old Testament professor. And he actually wrote the book, The Bible and Borders, which is a very well-known book that talks about uh, well, I'm sorry, Christian at the Borders, the most recent book he wrote was The Bible and Borders, but Christian at the Borders was a book that basically talks about this intersection of how Christians can respond uh, to, to the reality of immigration in the United States today. We brought him to come speak uh, this first conference in person. We had around 100 people from all around Boston who came to listen. It was an amazing event uh, that took place. Uh, we had some other speakers, local speakers as well. Um, and yeah, then uh, we, we, we were going to do it the next year uh, in person, but the pandemic hit in 2020. Mm. So we decided to transition to more of a webinar context and did some book interviews. We interviewed um, Dr. Daniel Carroll on his book that came out, The Bible and Borders. We interviewed Robert Chow Romero on his book, uh, Brown Church, that came out. And we also interviewed Karen Gonzalez, who wrote the book, uh, the God Who Sees, all, all of these books speaking about the migrant reality and experience uh, within the Latino community and church. Um, so yeah, we, we had these, these different perspectives coming together, beginning to continue this conversation to help Christians reflect theologically on this idea of immigration. And uh, we're probably going to do it online this year as well, sometime this summer. It happens every summer. Um, probably towards the end of the summer this year, 
and then hopefully we can go back in person next year. But the purpose of it is just to continue reflecting theologically on what the Bible says on immigration. That's awesome, man. And I, I mean, I didn't get to go to it, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm looking forward to either in person or a webinar getting to attend at some point because it, yeah, it just sounds really amazing. Um, so in, in your, uh, in your like beginning as you're, as you're planning and thinking through and, and looking at what the Bible says about immigration and, and talking about how the, like the stories of immigration and migration that we found in the Bible are also present in a lot of immigrant and migrant and refugee communities today, what have you found or, or how would you articulate the calling of Christians um, in this day and age regarding immigration? That's, that's a great question. Um, the calling uh, of Christians when, when coming to immigration, I think, I think one of the first things, as, as you briefly mentioned, one of the first things that we need to do in order to understand what the Bible says about immigration is I think one of the ways in which we read the Bible is, is locate those stories of migration and immigration in scripture. So we think about um, the first place in which my immigration is mentioned in the Bible or migration. I, I use these words interchangeably, although they do have, have their nuances, but uh, Genesis 128, uh, God said to be fruitful, multiply and to fill the earth. This call to fill the earth uh, is a call to movement. Uh, and a, a call to movement, and, and, and this idea of movement is something that is imperative and important throughout just the narrative of scripture, and just how the gospel message will be spread, and shared, and, and, and the blessing will be, will be uh, shared to the nations, and we see that with Abraham, when God calls, um, when God calls Abraham out of the land of Ur to be a blessing to the nations. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, we see the, the negative impact of, or, or kind of the negative impact of the fall having an, uh, an impact on on migration itself. So when 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 Adam and Eve sin, and we see with the next generation of of Cain and Abel, one of the things that is um, said to Cain is that you will be a restless wanderer on this earth. Mm -hmm. So what is the theological significance of being a restless wanderer, mm -hmm. uh, and and how does that help us understand the negative uh, realities of immigration within our world today, whether it be by war, famine, political corruption, uh, just many reasons in which people unfortunately have to move. So beginning to understand these stories, and, and there's there's many more stories that I could share, but as we begin to listen to these stories of, of, of migrants within scripture, beginning to under, beginning to ask questions like, what is God's posture hmm. towards the immigrant in these stories? What is the tenor or the tone of immigration within this particular scripture? How is God relating to his people? in these moments. And as we begin to understand God's heart for the immigrant, then we can begin to understand how God would want us to respond. So uh, I think one of the things that you find throughout scripture uh, is that there's this, this movement from, from, from hostility to hospitality and, and a Christian ethic of hospitality is something that is found in many different parts, not only in the stories of immigration, but within um, even the laws of immigration within scripture right. and the commandments of, 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 of immigration in scripture. Um, many times uh, within our world today, we see that there's a lot of fear uh, when it comes to this conversation of immigration. And what does it mean to, to move the conversation from a place of fear to a place of faith? Uh, we as Christians are a people of faith. So what does it mean to, to understand this um, according to our faith? And I think as far as our calling as Christians in this time right now, I think, unfortunately, immigration has been something that has been highly politicized. And uh, that has influenced the way in which Christians think about immigration in our world today. And, and what needs to be done, part of our calling, I believe, for Christians to do today is to begin to depoliticize this conversation of immigration and to begin to understand it. Uh, from a, a Christian biblical perspective. If, if I mean, I consider myself uh, an evangelical Christian. I, can, I consider myself a biblical evangelical, not a political evangelical. An orthodoxical, uh, if you will? Yes, and orthodoxical. Orthodoxical. Um, and as that, uh, I believe that if scripture is uh, our, the, the guide to our faith, our understanding of God's word being spoken into this world today uh, and how we should live our lives, 
then it should also instruct us in this area and our understanding of what the Bible says about immigration should begin to inform our politics. It should begin to inform um, the way in which we engage in the public square, all these different areas of life, rather than allowing our politics to impact our faith in that way. Yeah, I, man, I just, you said so much stuff that I just heartily agree with. And to me, and, and you would probably know more about this than I would, but it it's wild to me how many times this subject is mentioned in the Bible. And like you said, this, this posture of just radical hospitality of welcoming in people that are so like, just completely different from you, people that may or may not even be like your enemies essentially, but still like welcoming them in is all over the old Testament and the new Testament and things like that. And it, it really has always been baffling to me that like, you know, people who like, certain political sects are known as being they're like well we believe the bible but i'm like well this is all over the bible like well how how do you how do you miss that and so is but i I was as you were talking i was wondering is that is the biblical command of of radical hospitality of of welcoming people in is that rare for that for for this time period and stuff like that and for like within the ancient near east and those sorts of things i mean i think I think within particular within the people of Israel, this was an ethic in which God had established among his people. Mm -hmm. Uh, The law, in a sense, is a reflection of God's heart. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I don't know too much about what other customs and practices were within ancient other ancient Near Eastern religions. But I know within the people of Israel that this was an ethic that uh, was it was a reflection of God's heart, the laws are a reflection of God's heart, and in the type of people whom God was calling His people to be, it was one of hospitality. And I mean, you see that in, I mean, even in in the way in which uh, the command to to take care. I mean, one of one of the most fascinating ideas that I find in in Scripture is when an angel comes uh, to to visit a particular person, and 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 how that person responds to that angel, letting them into their home, taking care of them. Or not, and then we see in 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 the book of Hebrews uh, to to um, show hospitality to strangers because you may entertain angels without knowing it. Mm. You may entertain Christ Himself uh, yeah. when when Christ says, "I was a stranger and you let me in." Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think this idea. Uh, I don't I don't know if it was a common practice within the ancient Near East, but I do know that it was an ethic in which uh, God was implementing. Uh, into the very framework of, of what it meant to be his people. Gotcha. And you touched on the the politicalization of, of immigration and we just, we live in a very complex, complicated society that just has so many different moving pieces and parts and, and you know, people coming and going. Uh, what in your, in your work and your activism and the different things that you have encountered, what are some of the logistical factors that we may not necessarily know about um, when we're thinking about immigration and immigration policy and what that looks like. Yeah. um, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's such complexity to, to the idea of, of, of immigration within, particularly within the United States um, that most people don't, don't take into consideration. I think, I think just reducing it to a, a kind of just like general understanding, I think it's important to understand that there are push factors and that there are pull factors mm-hmm. when it comes to understanding the logistics of immigration. So uh, push factors are maybe particularly problems within uh, one's own home country, uh, whether that be droughts uh, or famine. I know Guatemala is currently going through uh, a, a, an intense period of drought, which is causing many people to leave during this time, uh, to things like violence and corruption uh, that are taking place. We, we know that there's a crisis happening in Colombia right now um, with with the economy that's taking place there and, and the government there kind of just like charging outrageous prices for things like milk and bread and, and people just trying to, to survive in that way. And then um, other problems, push factors such as, you know, um, people seeking refuge, people seeking asylum ship because uh, of drug cartels, of human trafficking that are taking place in these areas. So there's push factors uh, and, and many times um, involvement of countries within other countries beginning to um, impact just 
the, the political stability of a particular nation and then people no longer being able to exist within those spaces. So there's the push factor and then there's the pull factor. Uh, so the push factor is the, the problem within the home country and the pull factor is the opportunity in the host country. Uh, and it is that opportunity in the host country that begins to drive people, whether it be things like um, freedom, whether it be safety, uh, whether it be something like family family reunification. Uh, many people yeah. uh, want to, to be connected to their families. They don't want to live a life separated from their mother or their father. Mm -hmm. um, maybe it's economic opportunities that, that lies ahead in this other place. So, I mean, there's push and pull factors. I think it's also important to understand that most people who are who are struggling don't actually want to leave their home countries. Mm. Like most people actually want to stay. Right. Uh, and because, I mean, if, if a person were to think about where they are right now in their life, would you want to leave where you're at? No, not necessarily. I mean, I love, I mean, my life here where it is, is fine, but if something were to happen to where it was no longer stable to live here, whether my safety or my security was being threatened, or there was some reason for me to want to go to another place, um, that in a sense would be legitimate grounds for me to consider whether or not I would, I would make that type of move. There's a, there's a poem that came out a few years ago by uh, a woman named, uh, a Somali poet named Warsan Shire. And it goes, no one leaves home unless home is the mouth of a shark. You only run for the borders when you see the whole city running as well. You have to understand uh, nobody puts their child in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. No one chooses refugee camps. And she goes on and on just explaining the difficulty of, of, of having to leave one's home country. That being said, uh, it's also important to note that people who leave their home countries are not always leaving out of a place and out of a sense of crisis. Uh, there is there is deep complexity and nuance. So sometimes people leave their countries for educational opportunities to go study. So, so I mean, we see that with uh, international students who come from one country to another mm -hmm. to study there for a period of time. There's people who are hired from one country to another country uh, because they have particular skills uh, to work there for a period of time. Uh, and then there's just complexity within the breakdown. Well, another one is missionaries. I mean, people travel from one yeah. place to another to do missionary work. That is a type of, of migration that is taking place, a type of immigration. Uh, and then kind of classifying these types of different places, whether it be documented immigrants, undocumented immigrants, uh, temporary guest workers, refugees or asylum seekers, DACA recipients. There's just so many different levels of, of, of understanding of, of what immigration is. And then beginning to understand the, the political frameworks and structures that facilitate these types of transitional movements and whether or not they are solid enough to be able to, to facilitate that. And I think one of the things that we find within our modern day immigration system is that it is antiquated. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the things that are in place right now just are not um, stable enough to, to deal with the migration crisis and immigration within our world today, with an ever globalizing uh, world, it's just not. It's just not the case. So, beginning to think through those logistical factors is important. So, I was actually I had been listening to a podcast with Dr. Carol Rojas um, not too long ago, and he was talking about that. So, can you speak more to to how the the antiquation is is driving some of the problems that we're seeing? Absolutely. So, I mean, I think I think just one area in which we can see that taking place is that since I think since the time of George Bush the first, because uh, there's a George Bush the second, um, since that time there has been a continual decrease in the amount of of refugees that we have allowed into our country. Mm -hmm. uh, I think when it had first started, it was like in the maybe 300,000s over time, uh, we just began to slowly bring that number down, wow. down, down with each president until we got to uh, President uh, Donald, former President Donald, Donald Trump. And I think uh, at the end of his presidency, the number was down maybe to like in the tens of thousands. Well, uh, and, and Biden's, uh, until it was recently reversed, was kind of around that point as well, right? It was around right. like 15,000 or something? Just last week, yeah, it was around 16,000, yeah, and I think just last week he Big brought up. it 
up to like 67.5 or something like that gotcha. in that area. Uh, because the reality is that there is an ever pressing, growing migration crisis within uh -huh. our world today and at the border. And yet we continue to close ourselves off. Mm. Um, and part of that is because, you know, the perceptions around immigration, those types of things. When in reality, you know, our, our laws need to, be, need to be able to respond and reflect appropriately to the reality that exists in the world around us. So, and, and raising uh, certain types of, of, of visas that are given as well as an example of, of ways in which we have not caught up, yeah. caught up yet with, mm. with this, this reality. I was going to say, because I, I remember he was kind of talking about it, that it's like the way that some of the visas work is that it's, I mean, it's essentially near impossible for people to get in because it's like they have to have all this documentation and it, and so a lot of it is still done on paper and in some regards, I, I think. And then, you know, you have to have live here for certain years and, and just the, the process is just difficult. It's, it's crazy when you, when you look at some of the, the different bureaucracy and red tape that you have to go around just to get in. It's complex. It's messy. And for a person in crisis, it's intimidating. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're, you're already dealing with, like you said, the push, the push factors where you're already like dealing with the, the fallout of that. And then now you have to basically do like a, a, but you basically have to go to the DMV, but fight for your, for your livelihood, essentially. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a great example. Yeah, exactly. Like going to the DMV. Never, never a fun experience. <laughs> oh, man. So in, um, in, in addition to, and this was just something that I was, I was thinking about. So we, we're obviously talking about, um, we're obviously talking about this from like the, the perspective of the United States and the way that the United States kind of handles immigration. How would you, how would you compare it? And, and, you may not know, but how would you compare it to how other countries or, or what does migration look like in, in other countries in the way that they handle things for, versus the way that we handle things? That's that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think in places like Europe, one of the things that you'll find is that they have a much more cosmopolitan open border policy. Mm -hmm. So for their um, citizenship is more fluid. One person can move from one uh, uh, nation state or one country to another more fluidly. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there's because there's more of like a, a collaboration, a union uh, between these different countries. So that's something that exists within that place. That's that's a way in which they do it differently. I think one of the factors to take in consideration as well is just location of like physical location of the country itself. Yeah. So the United States only has two neighbors. It has right. Canada. It has Mexico. Right. And then it's separated by a large body of water. Mm -hmm. So the only, so their understanding of, or, or the United States understanding of, of, of borders and barriers in relationship to migration is just within, within relation to these two countries. Uh, and many times the United States is seen as kind of like the predominant superpower among these two. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in other countries, so I mean, if you were to, to consider like a, a country, um, in Africa per se, where uh, I'm, 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 ha I'm having trouble creating that map, but if there's one country, there's six countries surrounding uh -huh. that country. Mm -hmm. um, so what does it mean to be that one country in relationship to, to the countries that surround them? And I think you find that with uh, in the Bible with, with nations such as Israel, when they were surrounded mm -hmm. yeah. uh, by, by different nations and, and the ways in which borders are perceived and those types of spaces are very different. But I mean, I think... I think a, a good comparison would be the United States, which has has this this closed border policy versus somewhere where, where with the EU, which they, they in a sense have have a, a closed closeness to them as well. However, I think they have much more porous borders. Uh, and there are other countries who, who explore ideas such as dual citizenship. Uh, being in and having this type of flexible citizenship of going from one place to another. That's another way in which this, this, these types of ideas can be um, explored that is, that, is, that is much more nuanced than, than what the United States may be practicing at this time. Yeah, because and I can't remember what our policies on this are because we essentially, we, we require people to get, give up their previous citizenship in order to become a United States citizen, right? Yes. Okay. 
That's so, but so you're saying that, and there's other places that that's not the case where you can you can be a citizen of both. There, there are some countries um, who who take those things in consideration. I, I, I am having, I'm blanking right now on, on exactly where, but I mean that is something that is that is yeah. more possible. And I mean places again like the EU, they're much more flexible in the ability to to right. go from one place to another. It's one of those things where it's like I'm I'm aware of like the concept of dual citizenship, but only from the perspective of like if your parents were born in like if your parents were born in Mexico and then you came to the United States, then you would be like, you would be a dual citizen because of your, because of your parents or like the grandfathering in, but you're saying that like potentially, like if I went to a different country that I could be a dual citizen, well, I can be a dual citizen because I, I would have to give up my American citizenship, but I, there could be, there are places where you can hold on to both essentially if you wanted to. Right, right. And, and, and for those things, I mean, there's special particularized circumstances around those types of things. Um, but I mean, it is, it is something that is, a, that it is something that should be further explored uh, uh, within, within, within countries and see, because I mean, if that was the case, then people wouldn't necessarily feel the need to kind of completely replace, like, like move their lives from one country to another, but it could yeah. be something that is more fluid mm. and they, they, there wouldn't be that type of that pressure around on, on the immigration system. Yeah. One, one thing that, again, this is just, I'm, Sorry, I'm just thinking about all these different things as they're coming up. So one thing that, you know, you kind of talked about as you were going through, um, as you were going through seminary that you talked about growing more in your, in your own kind of cultural identity and, and, your, and the identity of quote unquote, like your people. And I'm just thinking about like with the concept of, um, with the concept of like migration and immigration, we also have to look at the, the concept of like, nations and like what what nations are and and what they're supposed to be doing and and what that looks like from the perspective of of like scripture and being a, a people what does that look like um for us as the people of god because in some ways I, I was just thinking like in some ways we we're like we're borderless right because we're all over um but at the same time, it's like we have these different like distinctions and, and these um, we're located in different places that have like realistic boundaries. And, and, and we have like commitments to to these countries, even though we've never quite um, we may not necessarily connect with them. Um, and so what, what does it look like um, either biblically or, or from a theological ethicist perspective for us to be um, this this nation and this people among other different nations if, if that makes sense that is a wonderful and terribly difficult question i'm so sorry i literally it just popped into my head and i was like oh man this it's, is like i'm kicking a, it around and yeah so. it's a great it's a great question and i i mean i hope to have a much clearer answer on this by the end of my phd program yeah. you're catching me on year one uh on year five i'll probably have much more clear ideas but what i will say to this is i mean i think i think in understanding the idea of, of nations in relationship to other nations i think when it comes to the conversation of immigration and, and i mentioned this recently on another on another podcast that there is this underlying debate that most people are a part of. However, they're completely unaware of it mm -hmm. um, within these conversations. And, and, it, and it, it, it goes into the area of uh, political science and political philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this idea of, of a political membership and political community. So a, a political community has the, has the ability to self-constitute itself and it has the opportunity to choose who it decides to let in, who it decides to not to let to not let in, right. uh, it has the ability to to extend political membership mm. to other people. Uh, within political thought philosophy, there is two schools of thought. There is communitarianism, uh, which uh, believes in the necessity of restrictive borders, self-determining communities, and the protection of citizens within its nation state or its country. Mm. Uh, and there's cosmopolitanism, which believes believes in much more. That, that believes in limited boundaries, a uh, more open and inclusive community and citizenship for all people. Okay. Uh, this is the tension in which many people find themselves and what it 
eventually, and this is actually something that uh, that Immanuel Kant, who is a philosopher, he actually spoke to these ideas. He had something called the cosmopolitan right. Uh, and what he said is that hospitality is not uh, a, a privilege. It's something that's actually a right. When somebody comes to your borders, wow. they have the human right. Uh, well, human right is language that was used later, but they have a right an intrinsic right to be extended hospitality. Mm. Whether or not this person is to stay for an extended period of time is another question and must be determined under particular um, circumstances, um, but that there is this type of right to hospitality. So what this conversation, and, and Khan actually never got down to resolving the tension uh, between uh, the idea of a nation um, a popular sovereignty of a nation determining itself and the idea of universal human rights of uh, what does it mean to extend it to two people under what particular circumstances. So the idea of popular sovereignty and universal human rights is something that is a continual attention and beginning to think about what does it look like to uh, justly distribute membership, political membership uh, within, within our world today is that great struggle. And some people focus on the legal aspects of it. Some people focus on the moral aspects of it. Um, determining criteria of, of just distribution of membership is work that we need to do. In regards to, to how Christians respond to this, uh, <laughs> bringing, in, bringing in the Christian ethical component, that's a whole nother just oh. like dynamic to it because uh, I don't believe that the, the that a Christian ethic can fit completely into a communitarian or cosmopolitan worldview or perspective. Mm -hmm. I think I think we, we find ourselves within the tension between those two ideas. And I think, I mean, I think I think it comes down to Christians, Christian engagement in the public square. Uh, what does it look like? And and then and then bringing in the complexity of the separation of church and state within the United States context mm -hmm. of, of exactly what does it look like to navigate yeah. a, a social commitment within this reality is just so complex. Right. Uh, but I think as as we begin to to explore those complexities, I think there are tangible and concrete ways in which Christians can begin to respond to this as a church. Not not as a not as a political institution, but as a mm. church, mm. because there there's a difference between uh, a political institution or between between a nation, a country, and a church. And it's important for us to to obey, uh, of course, the laws of the land and to work within those types of structures. However, um, those those that does not mean that those laws that are set in place are, are right, good, ultimate, cannot be changed. Right. Uh, yeah. And for the church to begin to advocate through those types of avenues for more just immigration policy, more just immigration reform, and the immediate treatment to the humanitarian crisis and finding ways to extend hospitality to people in this time is something that the church can begin to, to engage in in intangible and proactive ways. And I mean, I think... I think as Christ, I think as 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 citizens of the nation, we we must uh, pledge allegiance to 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 our nation. But we are also citizens of heaven, mm -hmm. and and I believe we must pledge a higher allegiance to that. We must pledge a higher allegiance to that to that identity because I mean that is our eternal identity. That is the one that defines all other places. And what happens when those things come into conflict with one another? That's what the work of Christian ethics, or what I try to do in the area of Christian yeah. ethics. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know about anyone else, but I feel like you crushed that question. <laughs> like okay. you were bringing out Immanuel Kant and like getting into the philosophical ethics and all this. I was like, dude, he's killing it. Um, <laughs> oh, but yeah, that is, man, it is just so, there's so many different like in a, inner mingling parts and, and stuff. But I think you did a good job of, for me at least, it, I, I felt like I had a, a clear understanding of like, okay, what is my what is my responsibility as a person who exists within this this boundaried nation, quote unquote, and and what is my role as as a person of faith, as a Christian, as a person within the wider um, within the wider church? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and kind of within, so kind of segueing in into that um, or into this next question would be, what what can Christians who are living in in their their own like home country, what would you say that um, 
what would you say that we can learn from immigrants and, uh, and immigrant communities that are coming now to, to make their home um, in our host country? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think, I mean, I think, I mean, just, I think there's so much that can be learned. I think when you even look at economics, I mean, there's there's so many statistics out there that just talk about how how much of a blessing immigration can be to a country. Right. Uh, many times there's, I mean, there's 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 positive things, there's negative things, there's there's a cost to those types of things. But I mean, over overarching, I mean, there are many positive blessings that come from immigration. I mean, even the 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 free market system. Is, is, is built on this idea of, of spreading and of moving and, and, and this, this movement yeah. across borders to, to produce uh, capital, those types of things, even with even our own capitalistic system thrives on immigration, which is a right. whole other thing. Global, but, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, I think when it comes to the moral lessons in which Christians should learn and take from immigrant communities is that immigrant communities are an incarnation of the Christian identity itself. Mm, wow. I, can, I can also use the word enfleshment. That's a word that I recently learned, enfleshment yeah. uh, of the Christian identity itself. When we look at uh, Leviticus 19.33, God says to the people of Israel, when a stranger resides among you, you must treat them as your own, for you were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And I think many times, what we don't realize is that when God gives us the radical call to follow me, to, to, to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and to follow me, he's calling us to a life of migration. He's calling us to a life mm. of displacement from this world, yeah. to not live for the kingdoms of this world, to not live for the treasures of this world, but to live towards an eternal kingdom. And that this life in which we live here and now today is temporary our eternal citizenship is in heaven. We are sojourners passing through this world. We have, we, this world is not our home in a sense in that way. So as Christians, when we, when, when we come to realize that identity, not of being in the center, but of being displaced because so much of Western Christianity wants to center itself within, within structures of power. Mm-hmm. But when we realize that we ourselves are those who are just dis- displaced, working and living towards an eternal kingdom, then we must ask ourselves, how do we treat those who are actually displaced in this world, those who are actually physically existing within that reality? And what does it mean to be good stewards of the resources in which God gives us? What does it mean to steward the land in which God gave us and not hold on to it tightly with our, our Christian nationalism and, 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 and oppressing xenophobia yeah. and those types of things? What does it mean to come alongside people, to come alongside uh, or, or to be the Good Samaritan uh, as we see people in their time of need to care for them during that time? What does it mean to entertain the stranger, to entertain angels during this time? What does it mean to, to, to welcome Christ and Christ being uh, identifying himself as a migrant himself. So I think one of the most profound lessons that we can learn from from immigrant communities is, is that they themselves are an incarnation of the Christian identity in a physical sense. And we ourselves have a responsibility to extend hospitality to them because we are in a sense, because that in a sense is a reflection of us being sojourners right. as well. Oh my goodness, dude, you just, blew my freaking mind like so that is incredible oh man that's just so good because I was even just thinking about how like you know I I don't know I just I feel like I've heard you know people say all the time like heaven or you know earth is not our home we're we're sojourners in a foreign land kind of thing but just the way that you put it and then the because there's a part of me that's like I feel like a lot of times people will say that almost as a means of disengaging from a lot of the different things that are happening where they're like, okay, you know, I don't really have to worry about this because, you know, this is kind of an earthly issue and I need to set my eyes on things above quote unquote sort of thing. But the immigration piece of it, I think is such a good uh, like analogical 
use because or it, it there's a good analogical use of of this type of uh of, the, of this type of being because immigrants are coming not just to um immigrants are coming recognizing that a host country is not their home they're 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 quote unquote like the place where they they grew up and the place that shaped them and made them who they are but they're coming to contribute and they're coming to be a part and they're coming to build and they're coming to to grow and really like that is what we're doing as as christians as people of god who we recognize that like yes we are not we don't follow the ways of the world we don't follow the the prince of the the power and the prince of the power of the of the, of the air and, and different things like that but we are building our way towards the kingdom of god and i just ah that's so good i'm just hyped right now it's the best oh man well thank you for that just amazing uh amazing response and then one one last question as we're getting ready to wrap up here um what uh what can non-immigrant christians like either practically or even high level like theoretically do to to support um our our christian uh immigrant siblings and also just our our immigrant neighbors in general what are some what are some things that we can do yeah yeah i mean i think I think one of the things I can do, particularly because immigration is something that is so politicized and so just so talked about in negative ways, is change the language that yeah. we use. I mean, it's it's something that's that's I mean that's so simple. I mean, just right. to stay away from from language that is derogatory, abstain from derogatory or dehumanizing rhetoric uh, about uh, about people who are made in the image of God, yep. uh, and just just find alternatives of, of, of beginning to talk about this conversation. And in doing so, we can begin to remove some of the hostility just around immigration, just within the conversation of immigration and begin to move to a place where we can actually begin to resolve these issues. For Christians, I mean, there's so many different, so many different ways in which we can, we can respond to this. And I think something that you said was very interesting in that many times we don't connect this idea of, of being sojourners in this world to, to our to the real world today of, of immigrants. And I think it's just because there's just been this vast disconnect between our, our spirituality and our practical commitments in the church. And we just have not been able to bridge those two. We haven't been able to bridge um, the, the, the body and the soul. There's been this divide, the body-soul divide that exists and, and learning that God redeems the soul and God redeems the body is, is something that, that we need to realize. So what does it look like to not only redeem the soul, but also redeem the body within this world? I mean, there's a lot of practical things. I think uh, one of the things that people can do, churches can do, Christians can do, is to connect with either faith-based or nonprofit immigration resource centers or organizations within their, their communities uh, and begin to build relationships with them so that so that those who are immigrants within their, their either congregations or in their communities, they have places in which they can connect them to, to go through these types of processes. Um, people, I mean, even churches, I know of churches who have started immigration resource centers within their congregations as well and, and began to meet people's immediate needs of the community. And that in a sense has been a way to, to begin to bring them into church and, and into the church and integrate them into, into that life and, and begin to find a community uh, a meaningful community in that type of way. Uh, another way uh, in which I, I often mention is that, I mean, Christians, pastors, church leaders, they can, they can actually pursue accreditation through the Department of Justice uh, to provide legal services uh, for, for immigrants in a court of law. So if an immigrant has an immigration date, you as a, as a as certified with the Department of Justice, you're not a lawyer, but you in a sense function uh, in, in a type of way to, to, to be with, be there to represent that person in that way. And just to be with somebody yeah. at, a, at one of the most vulnerable and, and, and scary moments of one's life mm -hmm. is such a beautiful, uh, depiction of just the Christian witness to mm -hmm. people in those types of times. Um, so, I mean, that's another way, um, I think faith leaders connecting with government officials to work towards just immigration reform is, is work that needs to be done. There's people who need to be working within the, the public square in these types of, in these types of spaces. Um, I think as well, there's practical ways that the church can do tangibly as well. That is not so 
that is not so much in the public square, such as um, familiarizing oneself with the stresses, the traumas, and the vulnerabilities that, that many immigrant communities faces, that many immigrant communities face, and what does it look like to provide either counseling services, emotional, psychological support, spiritual care to people during those times. Many times when people go through these, these um, migrant experiences, either crossing a border, there's traumatizing things that take place and those things are never addressed, but those things are important for the, the mental and spiritual well-being of that individual. So what does it look like to provide even that type of care? There's, there's so many different ways from, and even beginning an immigration ministry within one's church, which is, is unheard of in many places, but just beginning to welcome people uh, into one's community and beginning to, to care for them. I also have a, a, past, uh, a friend who's a pastor in Chicago. Um, he, he shared with me that one of the things that he's looking to do is to begin to foster uh, some of the the migrant children who are currently detained at the southern border oh, wow. yeah. as they seek family reunification, mm-hmm. um, fostering them during this time, helping them through that process. And if they're unable to be reunited, even adopting them, going so far to do that and bringing them under their wing. These are tangible ways that are within the boundaries of the law, because I mean, of course, I understand apprehensions of not wanting to do anything that might might violate the law. I mean, people have certain convictions about those types of things. So those things must be respected. But all of those things are tangible ways in which Christians can get proactively involved in serving immigrant communities in a Christ-like way. Yeah, that's so good. Daniel, thank you so much for coming on. This was just an awesome conversation. Um, I feel like I learned so much and I just, um, this is a particular passion of mine. Just I'm the global church in general, but then just the way that this plays out in terms of immigration and migration um, and the way that people embody um, just the creation of God and, and the, the creativity of God and the ways that they've been made. It's just, this is something that I'm super passionate about. So thank you for, um, thank you for coming on and, and giving me, uh, you know, background and, and theological things to, to kick around and think about. This was such a great conversation. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this invitation. It was, it was an honor to be here and to share with you. Um, and yeah, let's just, let's continue to encourage people to, to explore God's heart through the stories of migration and scripture and how they apply to our world today. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks for listening in folks, and we'll catch you next time on the Orthodox School Podcast.